0: Hi, this is Kiddo O'Toole, co-host of Talk More Talk. Thank you, as always, for supporting our show. This episode was recorded at the 2022 Chicago Fest for Beatles fans and features an all-Beatles author panel playing a lively game of Rack Our Brains in front of a live audience. It was an honor to moderate this special session. We did encounter some recording challenges, however, as our podcasting room was located right next to the Apple Jam stage, and we were provided with only one microphone and a small speaker. We did our best to boost the sound quality, but there may be times during this show when voices may be hard to hear. We apologize for this, and thank you for your patience. It was a fun experience to host this panel, and we hope to record another live session, hopefully under better circumstances, at the next Fest for Beatles fans. And now, on with the show.
1: Everybody, we're
2: Beautiful day in LA. Talk, more talk. Jack, more Jack. So, uh, it was good to be able to kind of get it out in a song. Um, the whole,
1: you know, origin of where we're all coming from. Talk,
3: I'm prepared for that because I don't believe in it. I think it's just getting out of one car and getting into another.
0: Talk- better people to be uh, playing this game that uh, we're going to play today, which is uh, one that's very popular with our viewers, which is rack Our brains, And uh, this is a game that's not a trivia game, but uh, it's one where, uh, and many of our viewers know the rules, but in case uh, you don't, these are questions that are for discussion. They're not trivia, uh, but uh, instead they're opinion so there are no right or wrong answers here, um, and so uh, well, this is the time during the fest for you guys get to just say what you think, so <laughs> so just let those opinions fly, um, and nobody knows what is going to be asked, um, so uh, before we get started, even though I'm sure you, you all know um, everybody here, let me just uh, quickly say I'm Kid O'Toole, I'm one of the co-hosts of uh, Talk More Talk. I'm the author of Songs We Are Singing, Guided Tours of the Beatles' Lesser Known Tracks. And of course, you know this gentleman. He's uh, have authored so many books that uh, I think we will be here all night, <laughs> if I said them all. Uh, but uh, but among them, two-volume biography of George Martin, and of course, as we all know, the upcoming biography of Mal Evans, Ken Womack. Mm-hmm. You uh, next, he is the authority on the Beatles in Canada and uh, all of their releases, their their history, of course John uh, John Lennon's connection with McCann, John and Yoko's. He is the man if you want to see. And he's written two volumes on it. Uh, the blue and red uh, books of the blue book is coming out, or he's the blue or the red. The, and out and gone. Yeah. coming Excellent. OK. Ladies and gentlemen, here's how we so. <laughs> right. Next, another expert. If you want to know about the Beatles' North American Tours, this is the guy you want to talk to. He wrote an incredible two-volume set. Uh, called Some Fun Tonight, and uh, I'm not going to read the entire title. <laughs> take the whole
3: podcast.
0: Yes, yeah, so we take the whole podcast. No, but it's, it's really, it is the authority, and he has a memorabilia collection that he runs out to various museums, and in fact, the, the collection is right here in Illinois right now at Lavinia uh, Festival. Yeah, so, uh, so if you live here, if you are going to Lavinia, check it out. So, um, just a pleasure to have him here. Check out yourself. And last, but definitely not least, um, he is uh, just, I mean, everyone knows him here at The Fest. He's been here since the first Fest, right? Yeah, he was there when Martin Minnitos even came up with the idea. And uh, he's the executive editor of The Open Magazine and the author of uh, Change of Times, 101 Days That Shaped a Generation. And uh, also, again, pleasure to have him here, Al Susman. All right, so uh, let the games begin, um, so and I'll stop strangling Ken now, so let's... Uh, let's <laughs> look <laughs> more up the true crime podcast. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right me, that would
2: be good.
0: Exactly. So I have some questions um, that my co-host sent, and also what uh, a couple that viewers sent. Um, and I know you guys have some questions that, uh, that you said you have as well. So, alright, let's start with, and then we'll just pass the mic right down. There. And uh, we'll start with Ken Michaels, uh, Ask some questions. What do you think is the most underrated solo Beatles album? Thank you,
2: Ken. Wow, this is. Sorry, I should rack my brain. Just right now. Right now. All right. The most underrated solo Beatles album. That is a tough call. Um, I'm going to go with a fan favorite, so I know that I'm not the only one who believes this, but we'll never believe it's received the accolades it should. Sure. And uh, even, from its, even from its maker, Paul McCartney. Uh, The 1979 album. And uh, um, having just racked my brains, I feel the tremors, and it's not just a polka band. A a person, a a good man, a friend of ours, has it right now. Lovely. Is that the sunny side or over (laughs) the? (laughs) <laughs> lovely yeah i i remember getting that the day it came out uh and listening to it on um, kale k-l-o-l and you, know, you know that story well. they played it at midnight a day early They yeah. um, but I, I remember loving it from the word go I it. and uh the reason why i selected is because uh, because i believe you should have reasons. it's not just a pin that's um the reason why i selected is had such an edgy sound that Paul adopted for it, um, and I know because we know Chris Thomas uh, and he, what Chris Thomas went through producing that album uh, with Paul's ever-changing perspective uh, on that record. Um, he really won out and ensured that it had kind of a nice hard-rocking edge to it. I just love that record, and uh, I like what it top out at seven or nine on the United States uh, charts. I've always felt like perhaps that felt like a message to Paul to maybe take a turn. And I guess that turn was McCartney too, uh, perhaps. But uh, I wish he'd stayed in that vein just a little bit longer so we could have more live work from, uh, from the great Lawrence Jewelry. So there you go. The
1: key word uh, was underrated. So, underrated by me. And I'll, I'll describe that. Underrated by me. An album I've been listening to the last couple of years, have time to listen to an album by uh, i am been to Wonderwall by Harris, and I've uh, it I listen to it, in I've hear the
4: Windows. T- uh, time Takes Time. So it won't take a lot of time on that one. It was a, uh, you know, um, a, not a commercially successful album, but certainly aesthetically and creatively. It was a, a, was a major comeback album for him after those late 70s and early 80s uh, creative disasters. Uh, the other one, though, is George Harrison's has Gone Trouble. Uh, from 1982, uh, which, um, and, and coming after somewhere in England, an album that uh, I got in a lot of trouble for doing a very bad review on huh? in Beatle in in 1981, was just like it was like a, a a a breath of fresh air. It was stylistically, it was just so much better, and. Um, uh, a lot of the personnel on there uh, really helped, especially vocally, um, some of the backup vocals from um, uh, people like Vicki Brown, etc. cetera. Uh, but it's, uh, uh, unfortunately, George did absolutely no promotion for it. And the label did. Warner Brothers did virtually no promotion for it because it was the last album in George's uh, contract with, uh, with Warners. But uh, other, than, other than that, it's a fine album. I, I would say that's uh, you know, an, an um, definitely an underrated
0: album. See, I told you this was going to be a great panel. <laughs> All excellent, uh, excellent answers. Um, we have another question, uh, this time from our buddy Joe Mayo um and uh i think chuck is going to particularly like this question what beatles song would you have loved to have seen them perform live um between 1960 and 1966 um so chuck i'm gonna put you on the spot
3: Incredibly hard question. (laughs) First of all, I love the feedback speakers. I wish the Beatles had those. (laughs) So easy, right? You can hear yourself and all that. Okay. The song I'd love for them to have in their set list. It's a tie. I can have a tie, right? Al did a tie. Okay. And they're really kind of really deep dive songs. I love to see them performed. Okay. First one, Hippie Hippie Shake. Second one, Clarabella. Not their songs, but I would have loved to see them on stage doing that. excellent. All right,
4: anyone else? Jump in. Oh, uh, I thought this was for Chuck.
0: Oh no, it's for everybody. Oh, I'm it's for everybody. You're phone.
4: Phone. Uh, actually, uh, for much the same reason, I would pick a shot of rhythm and blues. I'm a I'm a, I'm a BBC freak. In fact, uh, our our friend Tom Frangione, the last uh, I guess three weeks, has been playing a lot of the BBC material from the the Pop Go the Beatles uh, summer series that he did for the BBC in the summer of '63, and I just love that stuff. And a shot of rhythm and blues, which was which was a really kind of like a, a, a beat group standard in Liverpool in those, in the early 60s. And uh, yeah, I would have loved to have seen them do that in concert. Okay, you said
1: 1960 to 60? 60 to 66. Okay, um, well, um, I would probably pick something from Something that they couldn't really play to a noisy crowd, but uh, I would pick uh, probably uh, you've got the hundred level win or, or uh, the night before. Those the nights, uh, off, off the Canadian slash American album, not the British album. And I'm going to go to Winnipeg.
2: I think it would have a sentimental connection with folks, and that's uh, in my life. I think, you know, it, it's such a staple of weddings and so many other kinds of celebrations now. Uh, and to be able to play that would have uh, would have made sense for its author uh, to have an opportunity uh, to give a shot with that one. So, easy, but there it is. So this would be part of the acoustic part of the set, right? Yeah. Uh, sure, although it, you know, it worked fine with electric. They could bang that out. The solo would be lacking.
0: They yesterday line, so you know, yeah. Yeah. For the record, I guess I'll uh, go with uh, some other guy. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh I would love to hear that. I that just would have brought down the house. So I just you know, whenever I see the footage of them, you know, that put just that little bit doing them doing at the camera. Oh my gosh. Uh, okay, let's see. Um okay, this is from a uh, viewer um, of, uh, of ours and also one of my students in my money classes. Um, and uh, let's see, he brought up, he, he submitted a bunch of them. <laughs> I'm picking the one that, uh, that I think would uh, be the best for you guys. Um, okay, how about, what is your favorite solo music video for each Beatle? Um, you know, just, uh, you know, any of them, um, and, uh, and he specifically says do not include feature films.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you don't have to pick for each one, you can pick, you know, one or two if that's, if that's, uh, more doable.
2: Well, being a sentimentalist. I'm going to pick one that may seem out of left field for folks, but I, it was a sappy song that I loved. Uh, and I, I remember the, the beautiful soft focus video. It was so bad. Oh, I love that damn song, and I stand by it. Um, <laughs> that's where I'm going. Pierce. Um, is it was not? that, did I choose yours? No. no. <laughs> just to go back to the
1: question, is it solo or
0: Beatles? Uh
1: Solo. So what about three does that count? yeah so, okay. sure i would go with three as a bird because oh, i think that is a tremendous yeah. for its time the stuff they did in that video just still when i watch it, it just how did they do all that i don't know but that's my thing
3: i'd say for me it's pretty easy it'd be paul mccartney's coming up uh, and he's doing all the uh, parts <laughs>
4: I thought gonna. I thought it was gonna be all four. Uh, yeah, I mean,
0: it's however many you feel comfortable with. Okay. You can do all four. You're okay. not an assessment.
4: You all This is true. Yeah. Age over uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, then I'll I'll go with all four. Um, for John, I would go with um, with the original video for whatever gets you through the night much of which was uh, was filmed in Central Park. In fact, around the, uh, ironically, the Central Park Bandshell. Um, uh, and uh, unfortunately, it was, uh, I guess, redone, right, for, by, by Yogo for the um, uh, Mar- Lenin Legend yeah. Mind games. Um, archive. Um, Okay, for George, um, easy. Uh, cracker Bucks, Yes. That's um, for Paul, I would, you know, I'll actually go with, uh, uh, with Chuck's uh, pick coming up. And for Ringo, here's another wild card. Uh, in, from 1976, a lot of people probably haven't even, probably never seen this. And it's the video for "You Don't Know Me at All." I've seen that. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, from the uh, from the Road Viewer album, uh, which was during that period after Ringo had shaved his head. And I can remember um, when John got his green card, and he kept saying to you know the media saying, "Why did Ringo shave his head?" <laughs> but it was but it was a really a really nice video too bad that it never really saw much in the way of circulation. So that's, those
3: are my things. Okay, we're running short on time. I'll add one other, but I have to echo Al's Crackerbot um, Palace. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I'll, I'll add one in there um, I've always liked the uh, video for um, uh, for Paul for press I always thought that was fun yeah um, with him on the, on the tube and interacting with people and it was just you know, kind of a side of Paul he, up until then you didn't see much but then they with fans like I was like that and, uh, and also George's four-way video games oh, are yeah. so yeah. silly yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know it was just fun seeing them I mean the, the bad you know bad effects I mean, for now, particularly, but that kind of made it, you know, that was half the fun. Um, So I I enjoyed those as well. Uh, Here's another question from Ken Michaels. I think uh, uh, all of you will definitely have opinions on this. Which of the archival box sets of the Beatles has impressed you the most and why? Uh, Just Beatles. Just Beatles. So the
2: archival box sets for me, hands down, is uh, The White Album. Um, It has, uh, i learned more from the nooks and crannies of that one than any of the others. Uh, I think it needed the remixing more than any of the Giles and his team, their ability to create separation in the tracks really opened up the instruments and I was able to hear tonality better, not in some cases actual instruments. I hadn't uh, spent time with. So, it, without a doubt, it's it's the White Album. Um, in terms of comedy, I have to pick Abbey Road, which has uh, the Abbey Road <laughs> on the first page. Yeah, yeah. It's really important to have editors.
1: <laughs>
2: I mean, I've learned this in difficult ways over and over again, but the Beatles should have not have a, the Abbey Road. So, it's the White Album for me. Here's well, I won't pick the White Album, but I'll
1: go with Sgt. Pepperbond's set. Ooh. And uh, I think what what blew me away was, was when they did the release, and, and we were allowed to listen to it on the Dolby Atmos, in the theater. And they blackened, turned off all the lights, and it was, I'd never heard anything like that before. So, And I, I could not possibly afford uh, Dolby Atmos system for my house, so,
3: me, and it's probably un- unpopular, would be the re-release of the Capitol American Records. For me, yeah, it was, was nice, total too. nostalgia. Um, when I got those, again, it just reminded me of being a kid and riding my bike down to the record store and getting the early Beatles or Beatles 6. And um, that that was it for me.
4: The Blue Locks are Volume 1 and Volume 2. Boom. Uh. <laughs> for me, I, I think I'll go with uh, with Ken's choice of, uh, of the White Album box. Uh, for, me, for one thing, just to get a really professional recording of the Escher demos is was almost worth the price of admission. But also, it's like certain tracks on the remix, like for instance Dear Prudence, which is a song I've always liked, but the, the remix just made it uh, you know, a, a new listening experience. It was—it's just wonderful, and so many of the other tracks on there are are, are definitely worth it. So I'll go with the white album.
0: <laughs> All right, um, and for the record, I—I I love the Sgt. Pepper uh, box set. I just love the sound on that. As Pierce said that um, just brought the light for me. Um, all right, now I know that uh, uh, you guys brought some questions of your own, so I'm going to um, t- turn it to you guys, and I'm dying to hear uh, what uh, what questions you brought. So, um, uh, Peers, I know you uh, you had some uh, questions prepared, so uh, so why don't you start uh, with one of yours?
1: Two, and I'm trying to think which would be the better one. I would say that uh, my question would be: um, When the Beatles stopped touring in, in uh, 1966, there was this sort of window of three, four, five months where, uh, you know, their manager uh, Brian Epstein was was saying, you know, they haven't broken up, they're doing other things, but the press thought otherwise. And uh, there was always something to say that the Beatles had broken up. They wouldn't be getting back together. And, and really my question is, uh, you know, what if you know, that was true? And, and, you know, they hadn't, John hadn't come up with strawberry fields or Paul hadn't done Penny Lane. Um, you know, the monkeys saw it as, as a uh, golden opportunity or the management saw it as an opportunity because the Beatles had nothing at the end of The door was wide open for another group to come in. And uh, they were kind of hanging on by a thread as far as I remember. just read that they were done. So that's kind of my question is is the what if.
2: I find that an inspiring question. I'm going to cheat a little bit. Um, What if? uh, I think that it would change, of course, their legacy and their level of achievement considerably. Masterworks, beginning with Revolver, obviously, which would have been out in that that question, but the the further records later really cement their legacy for all time. So we would be discussing them different. I don't think there would be a Beatles fest, quite frankly, uh, based upon the material um, as wonderful as it is. We all know this, but we all know the Beatles is a settled question, right? Um, so uh, that that's my my thinking on that, but. Uh, just as interesting, I love that moment because that interregnum is what creates a kind of mystique, right? And when they finally show up again in, en masse in the press, say around Brian's launch party in May 1967, they don't even look the same, right? And so it's as though they disappeared in the chocolate, into the chocolate factory, right? And my students love this metaphor, by the way. And they've emerged, and now you have the everlasting gobstopper. Damn it, where was this? It's wonderful, right? So it it was the beginning of a creation of a kind of mystique that they alone have enjoyed among rock's heavyweights. And then, of course, to walk off the stage forever in August 1969, it uh, also helps to sustain that mystique. I think that's such an important part of who they become, and they're starting to do it right there during that period you identify. yeah that's tough and
3: Kenny stole a little bit of my thunder because I think we're oh, here I that I you know. Here. <laughs> anyways um I think we're here at the forty fourth fest in Chicago is that correct okay so maybe we would have had eighteen Fests, and the Loos family might have called it quits because there wasn't anything post 66 that he could have gone off of but uh, an interesting question because um you know they were well off I would say financially. Um, they could have gone in all kind of different directions at that point, um, walking off that stage at Candlestick Park and finding themselves kind of not these performing, more known for performing on stage. And um, it's, it's, I just think that they would have um, absolutely gone in different directions. Paul might have gone more into the theatrical world uh, Broadway, um, songwriting for other artists, that type of thing. Um, Ringo might have just disappeared into the hinterland with Maureen with hairdressing. I don't know. Um, George might have, he was there already with his uh, self-realization. Who he is, who he was, why he was. He was sick of being a Beatle. So we kind of know where George would have went is kind of in a self-realization find myself path and i've got a lot of money to do it and take the time to do it john's kind of a crap shoot who knows what john would have done because <laughs> he was so into a lot of things um, so maybe john might have went more into the art um kind of thing with his he was such a great artist to begin with and he, i think he kind of wanted went in a career with that but still dabbling in the music
4: yeah that's that's really interesting uh because yoko was not in the um in the in the the, the involved yet um yeah and also frankly at that point in his uh in you know in his development he was definitely in uh in his in his drug period so you know who knows um, with Paul, absolutely. Paul would have continu- continued as either a performer or just a, you know, a mainstream songwriter. No question. With George, you know, the day a- the day after Candlestick Park on the on the plane, he said, "That's it. I'm not a Beatle anymore." But at that point, he really didn't have, a, you know, much of a backlog of uh, of songs. So it's kind of tough, you know, certainly there was nothing like All Things Must Pass would have been, you know, on the horizon right away in in early 67. So who knows? And Ringo, Ringo might have, uh, you know, he he was, even then, was doing uh, occasional sessions. So he might have, you know, especially considering how much of a session drummer he became later on, uh, he might have uh, started a little bit earlier um So it's you know it it is really kind of an imponderable, but also, yeah. I mean, revolver would have been, I guess, the you know kind of the Abbey Road moment swan song. in their in the yeah. swan song. Yeah, exactly. A but, fitting song band. And so would never know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very true. You know, and, but their I think their place in history would be would be pretty much would be secure. But as Chuck mentioned you know the masterworks. we were still we're still ahead of them
2: uh, nobody ties Chuck up <laughs> hey, you know I, I it's such a great question you know without those masterworks, by the way what does that do to the studio album era right the era of the great recording artist Pink Floyd you, know, you can just go on and on Suddenly, uh, suddenly we don't have that uh, that moment created, which is so very important to rock becoming a studio art and not dependent upon, uh, upon live performance. Uh, and I think our lives certainly wouldn't have been obviously as good because we'd be missing a very significant chunk of music. But having said that, there is an argument that their lives would have been better. Uh, maybe in almost every case.
0: Wow, that is a good point, Ken. Because yeah, I mean, Sgt. Pepper was, you know, an album that elevated rock to an art, and uh, uh, definitely, you know, set the standard for, the, you know, the album as an artistic statement. So yeah, I mean, what would have, what would have happened? Yeah, that is a very good question, Pierce. That was, you know, definitely. A, a, that's astounding to think that, you know, after '66 that. What would have happened i mean that uh, the all could have just ended so uh, as you said we might not be here over 40 years later i mean that's that is really thought-provoking question um how about uh, if anyone else have any questions they want to uh want to share uh chuck do you have any i'll go great okay here we go again <laughs> Oh, come on, you know what I'm going to ask the
3: panel is, if you could have seen the Beatles live anywhere, <laughs> where would that have been? For me, easy. Star Club 1962, in the suits, Ringo on drums, fresh into the residency. Not at the end, fresh, when they're kind of, hey, this is it. I mean, I kind of retired
4: Hamburg by that time, but still, I think it would have been great. Al? Yeah um matter of fact we talked about this last night at the uh, um uh, the panel and um i would say and i brought this up last night i would go with their final performance at the cavern on august 3rd 1963 which unfortunately was never recorded but still spun the deal of fantasy uh, because uh, especially at that point they had had two number one singles they had a number one album they were just about to release the record that would launch them into superstar and they were absolutely at the top of their game as performers the, all those, those bdc recordings i keep talking about uh, show that um, so i would go with uh yeah with the their performance their final performance of the cavern Question, but
1: I would go with uh, June of 1963, uh, a place called the City Center in Salisbury. I was at school with uh, my two brothers. Yeah, um, and, and of course, uh, I was probably too young to go, but my parents told my older brother he couldn't go because it was a school. I thought that doesn't really help nowadays, but. That was what it was like, you know, you had school, and that was it. But they did play, and uh, they played everything up to, I guess, from me to you. So that was their latest record, and I'd seen them on television, but uh, would it be nice to see them live?
2: Okay. I'd be fairly early too, and it'd be October 1963 at the Palladium, right? So we, could, we, we spend so much time, for good reason, on the onset of American Beatlemania, and I would like to, I'd like to know more about that. You know, we have anecdotes and accounts, but uh, as all of these comments suggest, it sure would have been wonderful, right, to be able to feel that energy, especially afterwards, right? I, uh, for the same reason I would want to be at the Cow Palace in 1965, where that energy goes dark. Would you throw a chair? I would not throw a chair, but uh, as we know, others did. And, uh, I mean, it was like a war zone afterwards with Mao and others, you know, helping the wounded. Um, And uh, so, historically, I'm interested in both of those because they show an interesting turn.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, I, I would uh, have to go, you know, probably go with Al because I've always wanted to see a Cavern show. Uh, yeah. I mean, come on, you got it. I mean, the Star Club is a close second. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that is a very close second, but, uh, but yeah, I would have loved that. And, but, uh, but yeah, a later Cavern uh, show and, and probably, as uh, Al mentioned, one of their last ones. Yeah. yeah, now that would be Yeah, yeah now that would have be, been Yeah, I mean, just basically You know, I almost said Chase Stadium and I'm like, well, but you couldn't hear them I mean, it would be interesting to be there historically but I'd want to be able to hear them you know, and also I heard it was extremely humid and you know, I don't do humidity but anyway <laughs> so, uh, okay, uh, Ken uh, you said you have a question Sure, and
2: I, I can even kick out a a first stab at an answer although i'm sure everybody else's will be better but uh you know picking up off the idea of which performance would you go to which which day in the studio would you have liked to have attended um i for me it's uh it's the day they record the guitar so for the end you know because that's one nutty day that's the same day a certain biscuit was stolen out of somebody's <laughs> guitar cabinet uh by a certain Yeah. Wife of of another band member. And uh, so there was a lot of tension, but then of course they create those great solos. I would love, and and the Abbey Road box set fails to do this for us. I would love to have heard how those solos were originally created. Um, They, according, Alan Parsons has told me they are not like you hear them. Uh, That he created the connective tissue between each one, not the musical tissue, made it so by his editing, one would kick off the next solo. Um, and, uh, and he wasn't even sure what order they were in, but he felt he liked that one. So I would love to have uh, been at that studio so we could write some of that down uh, and get that down correctly. But I, I pass it on to you for your ideas about studio sessions you would attend as a fly on the wall. There's a lot to think about. More than the costumes. <laughs>
3: Four
1: songs. Um, I'm just going to cheat and take
0: these You know my name, look up the name. Oh, <laughs> oh,
3: I, I got a tie, and they're total opposites. The first one is where they go in and do the whole album in one day. <laughs> okay, so you see it all. The second one would have been so funny to be there is Tomorrow Never Knows, because George Martin and Brian Epstein just looked at each other and go, what? <laughs> what is this? It's like one chord. Uh, you know? And they're just thinking, okay, I guess so the Beatles I can do anything they want. So, and obviously it was a great song.
4: Yeah. I would go with the uh, session, unfortunately, I'm forgetting the date and one of the songs. Uh, this is what happens when you get to my age. Um, and this is in March of, of 65 during the sessions for help. But it was the day that the uh, that Paul recorded in the same session I'm down, I'm down yesterday and what was the third I've one? Seen the yes. yes. Yeah. Wow. Which stylistically are you know all over the place. But it would wow. be fascinating. Yeah. It would be fascinating to see the session for that for those three songs. Surely you have
0: Yes, I, do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would love to have been there for uh day in the life when they uh, first were recording the orchestra and, and just being there for the you know the crazy atmosphere the, the people who were there the guests and uh, it would have been interesting even uh, to see them trying to figure out what to do at the end when they eventually of course decided on the ever-long piano accord but to, to be there. To see them doing that, yeah, <laughs> and uh, so I know this is really stupid. Um, but uh, but you know just to be there for such a historic moment, I, I mean that that would be uh, that would be pretty interesting. But I mean there's so many. But yeah, the end guitar, you know, trio would be pretty uh, pretty cool to see too. That's a close second. Um, Can I say one more? Oh sure.
3: How many of you would like to be at the DECA audition? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> okay, walking yeah. with the nerves, the, you know, banter, the, them looking at them. Okay, yeah, all right. Um, that would have been a fly on the wall at the DECA audition.
1: What's the three words? Sugar upon fairy.
2: Yeah. 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 DEC deck is such a great choice because um, they're never going to get that deal. It was never going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Regional Prejudice was never going to let that happen. Mike Smith was a gigantic liar saying, oh, you guys should record. <laughs> that's not a com- that's not commitment. That's just like, you guys should continue breathing oxygen. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, what? If? That, because, of course, they must have had exuberance uh in, in so many ways you know paul would later. that's sorry, john would later downplay their performance it didn't matter what they did that's great
0: all right uh al do you have, uh, have a question yeah, I do. okay here we go <laughs> okay this is
4: actually something that we were talking about yesterday at lunch this the is pads? well the sun. <laughs> um, and actually chuck brought it up um and correct me if i'm wording this wrong if if we could name one song from i think you at the bottom of the deck you know not one of the absolute favorites the, your top five right the, what would, what would you, be, one, be next? one of the five
3: you would take out and put a deeper dive song okay
4: all righty uh, and the one I chose was not a second time. Yeah. Because, I mean, people, you know, whenever you know, I, I, I do an interview or something and I give my top five songs, they all tend to be kind of later songs. And then I, you know, I get past it and I think, oh, you know, why didn't I, why didn't I say, and you know, all these, those early, those fabulous early John Bunham songs you know uh, if I fell uh, yes it is mm-hmm. uh, and and not a second time yes. you know the the, the song that uh, uh, William Mann right the, um, I uh, the know, yeah. Sunday oh. Times uh, critic uh, raved about the aeolian cadences right. even though John was trying to write a song that sounded like Smokey Robinson Uh, But it's a wonderful song and if you've ever heard not only I mean the the Beatles recording alone except for a few technical little problems um, You know John's vocal is just wonderful. There's also a, a later version by Robert Holland Which is wonderful. So I think that would be my my choice So as it goes in the Beatles world, I've already changed since lunchtime.
3: I've got another one. I threw that one out so I have my top five songs, and I'm going to throw one of those five and put a deeper dive song. And the one I'm putting in as I sit here now, almost 12 hours later, would be Leave My Kitten Alone. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah. Okay, so are these songs that we think are lesser songs? is that? Well, I, I picked a couple of songs off the album Something New. I think Something New has some substandard people stuff on it. Um, Tell me why. I don't know. I don't, never thought that was such a great song. Maybe somebody would disagree with me, but it seems like it was written pretty quickly. Um, uh, what are some of the other songs on Something New? I'm not yeah. about, okay. I'm not getting help from Ken. Okay. <laughs> when I get home, there's another example. These are just, I mean, I remember having an album thinking, no, oh, there's a couple of good songs. German version of it, I Want to Hold Your Hand. Anytime at all was fun. Anytime at all great. But it's not a record I go back to. Anyway, that's
2: my. <laughs> Do you know one move?
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, it's I'll Be Back.
1: You're getting better.
2: Yeah. It's it's I'll Be Back. I uh, yeah that song uh, changed me. It was. Um, when we were getting that fusillade of compilations in the 1970s and i got love songs you know and i bought it because that's what you do right <laughs> so i bought the thing with its uh, it had that it looked like the kind of things we would do in history class you would take a a piece of paper and put it in the oven so it's sort of tarnished and be a little brown or black around the edges and that's and it looked like that kind of design and I, I just thought what am I doing I'm just spending my allowance on this again right I'm just I'm in the machine already but if that came on and I thought you know I can hear I can still hear that moment when the, the ringing guitar kicks in and it's such a big moment for them right first of all it ends the album not with a pot bowl boiler like George Martin believed they should but almost with, with a kind of downbeat nostalgia. Mm. Um, just beautiful stuff, I remember that vividly. I think it's a perfect
0: annual of the album. Oh, me too.
2: Mm. But it just, uh, it's,
0: it's, it's also such a, a beautiful song. It is beautiful yeah. For me, it's a, a sort of leap in songwriting maturity. The rest of the album doesn't yeah. sound like that. And,
2: and by the, the way, way an album all, that's a, such a good point, SRR, because it's an album of a lot of great new original material. Exactly. And then,
0: yeah, very because, like, nice. Was giant step. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, Ken. You stole mine. Um, <laughs> I thought you were leaving my kid alone. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll be back is, is one of my, uh, my favorite deep cuts, too. I just think it's a beautiful song, and, and uh, absolutely. Um, Yours is Mr. But, well, yeah, okay. See Ken, Ken gets me about this. I will defend Mr. Moonlight in some ways because I think that opening, you know, all you know, that, you know. <laughs> I would delete it. <laughs> yeah, you know, the organ, the organ was a big mistake. Yeah. That that real, if they hadn't added that organ, that you know, I don't know what they were thinking. That was really cheesy. I mean, I don't. The vocal. But the vocal. Fair enough. You know, the vocal is great, oh, yeah. and that opening. You know, when you first hear it, you know when you hear that, and you're like, "This is gonna be great." And then the organ comes yeah. yeah. <laughs> in. Think about how elevated Beatles for
2: Sale would be with Leave My Kid Alone. Yeah, and I know. know. Yes, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. I know.
4: Although
2: I'm, maybe keep Mr. Moonlight, vocal is amazing,
4: yeah.
0: even
2: though I believe it, and toss out the last song and put uh, Leave My Kid Alone there uh, again. Okay, well maybe.
0: Nobody should mess with. Uh, yes, that's right. <laughs> oh man. All right, I've got one question of my own and then we'll uh, throw it out to um, yeah, throw it out to uh, the audience. Um, so uh, this was asked the last time uh, we did rack our brains. And I uh, thought I'd uh, borrow this and, and and ask you guys, what do you think is the biggest mistake that the Beatles made? In in their careers, uh, I mean, as a as a group, what do you think in their story was the biggest mistake um, that they made? I need a minute. <laughs> <laughs>
2: wow! not getting the right songs on something new. <laughs> That's a big one.
1: Um, my my take on it is that uh, they they uh, they did tour. You know, they chucked you know, 64, 65, 66. But their biggest mistake was that they didn't really refresh their set list. You know, they kept doing, up until 66, Twist and Shout. And, uh, you know, I didn't get to go to any of those shows. It probably didn't matter. But, you know, when they try and do paperback writer, if I needed someone, uh, they mix it up with, with stuff that's kind of old. And it, I just felt that. Their biggest mistake was that they they, either just seemed dated or tired or what, but uh, bands who'd seen them in 64 or 65, by 66 it's like, well, we saw this last year. so you know, maybe it just didn't seem fresh. That's my I don't
3: think they made really any mistakes. It's one of those things that just did really well, but if I had to say one mistake, they quit touring a couple years. Then they follow Elvis's lead and they do a comeback special in the black leathers. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. <laughs>
4: that would, that would be interesting. I'm going to cheat a little bit because actually, um, we had a discussion the same discussion on things we said today back when i was uh, when i was involved there uh, and i think it probably is the biggest mistake i think they made was thinking that they could go on as business people in the wake of brian epstein's death if they had brought somebody in not alan klein but there were other people who probably could have done a you know, a better job, a more certainly a more honest job of guiding them business wise than um, than than Klein. But even you know, for the, the couple of years between Brian's death and when Klein came in, they were you know, they were trying to basically lead themselves and with the formation of Apple and everything and it just um, it just didn't work. So I think that's probably their biggest mistake.
2: one and Apple of course drains so much of their capital and puts them in perilous positions which cause friction inside their relationships magical mystery tour the television movies an obvious example I mean all the energy they put into that Um, but I'm gonna throw one at a a central party and that's George Martin I think he makes a big mistake ego wise by taking three weeks off during the White Album. It was a terrible error. Um, I don't know that it harmed the music that dramatically. Chris Thomas was doing his bidding anyway, but the fact that he had this ego moment, misses the David Frost uh, shoot, um, where the ideation occurs for the Get Back Project afterwards. And these are terrible miscalculations by George. And in the words of our friend Mark Lewison, they froze him out for a while. He shows up uh, at Get Back. We can see him all over the film because he's invoicing them. And he's got to get paid. He's out on his own now. But uh, they're not calling him up and saying, George, get out here to the studio. You know, We, we need you at Twickenham. Now, he rises to the occasion, obviously, uh, when they get to Apple Studio at various Devicles, Magic Alex, etc. cetera. But uh, I think that was a really crucial error that caused them to make... mistakes in their story and uh, kind of derails them a little bit. Um, I'm not sure about all the implications but I I feel strongly about that.
0: Kitten, what's yours? Well my, my first one would be exactly what Al said about you know there's a difference between being you know creative person and a business person and you can't really do both. Um, the second one, I'd say, is Magical Mystery Tour. Um, I mean, the soundtrack album was wonderful, but, uh, you know, the film... <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, Paul maybe learned, I hope, well, maybe didn't, with, maybe the, not. with uh, Broad story, You don't uh, write a script with, by uh, doing a pie chart, you know? Uh, you, you've got to actually have a script. Yeah. uh, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Good idea. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because that was that was ill conceived, and you know, now if they had done maybe one with just the music videos, I mean, the music videos were okay. Trying to tell the story. But wow, the rest of it not so good. So, um, we have time for like maybe like one one or two questions. So uh, yeah. Oh, wow. wow.
2: That'd be interesting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a great uh, yeah, that's, a yeah, that's a great venue. I, I would have liked to have seen them, I guess, picking up on what Chuck was saying. You know, at Madison Square Garden when yeah. it opened, yeah. you know, yeah. all the soot and yeah. <laughs> grotesquery aside, you know, to have big-time uh, state-of-the-art sound opportunities and to be able to perform their songs all of their songs with with some kind of aplomb would have been would have been interesting okay i'm from canada so i'm going to go with
1: montreal uh expo 67 and they they were the beatles were asked to to play at expo 67 of course they didn't but other groups did so the grateful dead uh jefferson airplane supremes all the big names but the beatles did Jerry Park. Yeah. So, I, w- I would
3: pick Expo 67 and uh, The Summer of Love. I guess we heard a little bit about it in the Get Back film, but uh, something about the QE2. Uh, how about them being the house band on the QE2 <laughs> for a week and you're sailing across the Atlantic? dance
2: hall
3: songs
2: all songs. Yes. Awesome. they got to yeah.
3: play it all, though. Yeah, dance-alls at night, You know, going back to cavern sets. Uh, we yeah. get. Yes.
4: Stonehenge.
3: Stonehenge and Beatles.
4: <laughs> Pyramids and Giza. Yeah. How about this? The Stones played Madison Square Garden in late November around Thanksgiving in 1969 on their, their first tour uh, in America since early 67. How about if the Beatles said, you know what, we can top that. I mean, they've been following us for five years. <laughs> we can top that and say, on New Year's Eve, 1969, the Beatles had appeared at Madison Square Garden, maybe taking Chuck's cue in in black leather. <laughs> they did have a pretty good
2: catalog by then. That's yeah, yeah. In fact,
0: they had all of it. Okay, we'll take one more question and then we're going to have to end it. So, Tony? So, The Beatles' Pathmaster was a compilation of
2: non-album singles and B-sides, and Paul McCartney, as a solo artist,
3: has had so
0: many great singles and B-sides. Do you think he should release a compilation of all the singles and B-sides, because so many people don't know the great B-sides? I would buy it. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to see it.
2: I I love that. I lie around, right? All those, every, decade. every yeah. Those yeah. are just such great songs, and some of them deserve just as much mention as their A side. I'm all over that. Yeah. I'm like I lie around, the mess, all of those yeah. great tunes. You bet. Maybe not Rudolph the Red-Nosed <laughs> I, I would pass on that one, but otherwise, I'm right in. Okay, so is your question just the B side? We'll said
1: side. Both like the past yeah. master. Oh, oh all third. Third. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And why why hasn't it been done?
0: I know, right?
2: Yeah. Are you working for Paul right now and you're to like <laughs> suss- yeah suss this out?
4: Yeah, I totally do it. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I believe he owns uh, all of his own masters. And uh, if you remember, getting back to Alan Klein and the Stones, um I guess it was in the 90s, uh, Avco released a complete Rolling Stones singles collection um, of all of their A-sides and B sides from the years from for which Klein controlled the masters, so all the 60s and very early 70s. So basically now, unfortunately, since it's you know we're dealing with 52 years worth of material, it would be a pretty large set, but yeah, a set of, you know, the complete complete Paul McCartney, A-sides and B-sides, yeah, maybe with a more
0: original title. All right. Well, thank you very much for this wonderful panel. Thank you for some great, great questions. Um, Thank you so much.